Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 7, Who's Zoomin' Who? Mary, what happened this week? Ray drives his beautiful twilight truck from the pumpkin stand to the beach to bring Donna his smallest pumpkin and also his biggest pumpkin. He wants to decorate them with her if she's not busy. She's like, okay, sure, but then Kelly comes out and makes that face, the one with the top and bottom teeth at the same time. Could they not get Felice for this episode? I'm sorry, I didn't edit this, by the way. So these are my thoughts as I thought them. (laughs) I'm ready. I love it. Okay. Could they not get Felice for this episode? Kelly tells Donna she doesn't know what she sees in Ray. Again, true, but I get the feeling it's more about his job than about his hedgehog hair. Griffin shows up to surprise Donna with flowers and also a kiss. What is with all the surprises today? Also, Claire forgot to tell Donna that he called and wanted to make plans. Anyway, he made those plans for her. Fancy date, fancy car. Also, too bad if you don't want to go. You have to. Donna goes to change clothes and tries to call Ray to tell him not to come over later. He doesn't answer. She asks Claire to pass the message along if he calls back, then heads out on her fancy date by force. Oh, great. He's flying her in a plane with just two of them. Griffin proceeds to be super pushy throughout dinner, including ordering her food and insisting she stay overnight with him. Meanwhile, Ray shows up at the beach house and Claire tells him she's on a date with another guy, so see you later, babe. Ray leaves mad, even though Claire asked him not to. Later, she and David eat watermelon on her bed that she's just cutting recklessly with a knife. It's a mess. I love her. Anyway, they're both sticky, so she takes his shirt and the watermelon rinds and her blanket and the knife and the cutting board, and I'm not convinced she didn't just throw all of them in the washing machine together. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, David goes through her drawers to find a shirt and also finds those handcuffs she used to uh, hook herself to (laughs) Brandon's bed that time. David knows just what to do with those. He handcuffs himself to Claire's bed, which she finds delightful, till she realizes those are her handcuffs and she doesn't have the key. There will need to be a solution at some point, but they might as well use them first. Oh, and then Chancellor Arnold shows up with canceled dinner plans for no reason other than to just make everything worse. Claire covers David with bedding and clothes so her dad can see her room before she gets him out of there. But first she calls a locksmith. Donna finds David when she gets home from her kidnapping, I mean her date. She talks to him while they wait for the locksmith. Donna looks off the balcony to find that Ray has smashed their pumpkins. She runs into the night to find him, leaving David alone and handcuffed to a bed once again. Silly babies could have at least unscrewed the top of that headboard so he could at least answer the door for the locksmith. She finds Ray at the pumpkin patch. Actually, he sneaks up on her while she's admiring their second smallest pumpkin of the season. Donna apologizes and Ray says he's sorry too for smashing her pumpkins. But he did it because he cares. They hug and he tells her he would never pressure her to do anything she didn't want to do. They kiss. Okay, it's not Donna's fault, but she has a really bad habit of attracting toxic men. 
Oh, for sure. I got to the end of this episode, or at least their portion of this, and I was like, who would have thought I would have picked David out of all three of these boys? <laughs> Same. I was like, okay, I guess we're just retconning this in my mind because, yeah, David is not as bad as these two. Like, Kelly made that whole thing last episode about Ray being a serial killer or whatever she called him. Mm -hmm. And then Griffin whisks her away on a surprise date where he puts her in a plane and takes her to an island. And that's a horror movie. And he's the pilot. Yeah. She can't (laughs) escape. No. Yeah. It was a wild couple of days for Donna here. And it may have only been like technically... 12 hours or so for Donna because it was like we start off with a weirdly long montage of Ray driving um, from the pumpkin patch to the beach apartment. I don't know why we had to follow him driving, but we did. And he like, yeah, he brings Donna a tiny pumpkin and then a huge pumpkin. First of all, I was wondering what was in the back of that truck because all you see is a white sheet. And I'm like, if Kelly saw that white sheet, she'd think it was a body. Oh, at least. Like, <laughs> at least not to put a body in. <laughs> right. Multiple bodies, even. Yeah. So, have y'all ever read, you know, the, the Netflix show You? Mm-hmm. Did you ever read the books? No. I did. Oh, I read the first one. Okay. So, I just read the third one. It just came out. By the way, in the books, they mention 90210 several times. So why? I have to know why. <laughs> uh, so in the first one, when he's trying to get into uh, the character played by Crystalia's party, and he's like trying to figure out the password, the password is Jim Walsh's bathrobe. <gasps> no, it's not. It is. Oh, my God. And then also, you know, Crystalia is the son of Bill D'Elia, who is a producer or director or something on 90210. Huh. But anyway... Anyway, in the third one, at least, uh, the main guy, like, figures out something that the woman that he's obsessed with likes and then just, like, repeats it over and over and over again. So, like, he he and her talk about beef and broccoli in their first conversation. So he eats beef and broccoli for every single meal and, like, shares it with her every single day because they work together. And that's all I could think of with Ray is I was like, Ray figured out that Donna thought his pumpkins were cute. And now he's only going to do pumpkins for every single date because he's not a real human being. He tried (laughs) one thing and she liked that thing. She only likes that thing. So that happened at work to my old coworker's husband because he is Canadian and the sales manager in question really likes hockey. So he found out that his name's Eric like used to play hockey and is from Canada. So the only thing at any kind of gathering we had where spouses were invited, the only thing he would talk to him about was hockey in Canada. And Eric's like, I haven't lived there since I was like nine. (laughs) Like there's more to me than just Canada. (laughs) Nope. Everyone has one thing. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a while. I wonder, that makes me wonder what my one thing is. Yeah. You guys are stumped, huh? Is it sports? (laughs) Yeah, but that's a wide array of things because it could be any sport. The gals. Yeah, well, that's probably true. That's what I would use as my thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because most things are a wide array of things. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, he shows up with this pumpkin that is easily the size of Kelly and Donna put together. Yeah. And it's like, hey, let's decorate this. Like, I don't think he realizes how much pumpkin goop they're going to have to, like, scoop out of this. They're going to have seeds for, like, a month and a half. They're going to have to get, like, a stepladder to, like, go up to it to be able to lean over and get the gunk out. Donna could live in it. (laughs) I live here now. Ew. What if Ray ends up living there? Because he's obsessed with Donna. He convinces her to, like, scoop it out. And then he's like, (laughs) no, we have to clean it really good. Just trust me. And then they start leaving the beach apartment and he's just in the face. (laughs) And he, like, he takes it like a sewer drain and just, like, takes the little, like, topper (laughs) and just, like, lifts it and puts it over. (laughs) Ray in the pumpkin. I think he might actually turn into a hedgehog at midnight. (laughs) (laughs) Then it's the perfect size house for him. He just has to crawl through the mouth. Exactly. Just eat all of the pumpkin goo. (laughs) Yeah. He just has his own little pile of like pumpkin goo. (laughs) It's like just roast the seeds and then just put them back in the pumpkin. Exactly. He uses the candles that light up the (laughs) little little campfire. Oh my god. Just a tiny little hedgehog <laughs> holding up the pumpkin seed. I, I like him is, more now. <laughs> this is a children's book. We just need to write it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like Ray shows up with this giant pumpkin that I don't believe he could logistically get into his truck by himself and get out of his truck by himself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, maybe if he's really experienced at moving bodies, this is how he's figured it out. Yep. At which point... Kelly comes out and, yeah, makes that face at him. And Donna's like, oh, look, he brought me the biggest pumpkin of the season. And Kelly goes, how big of him? Cool. Yeah, it's basically like, cool, Ray. (laughs) Like, you're lame. How great for you that you were able to get pumpkins. Yeah, Kelly clearly doesn't like Ray. And, And, yeah, I did write down. It's clear that her reasons for liking Ray are the bad ones and the ones we talked about last episode, but she is supposed to have this, like, spidey sense about her, too. So they're trying to show us, like, "Mm, she's sniffing him out and he's no good. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, we kind of talked about this last episode, too, of, like, how she's never said anything bad about Griffin because, Mm -hmm. like, oh, Felice knows him. He's totally safe when, like... Yeah, he shows up and whisks Donna away and then just, like, gets way too macho and, like, presumptive about Mm -hmm. Donna and her everything. Right. Exactly. Because I think with Donna, that might be the the next scene we even see her with because, like, everybody goes about their business throughout the day. Ray is supposed to come back later to do pumpkins or they're supposed to, like, call and talk about it. And then Griffin shows up to surprise her with a date and Claire's like – Oh, sorry. He called earlier and I said you were free, which is not how dates work. Right. Just because like your roommate says that you might be free doesn't equal a date. It just means, okay, cool. Then I can call her back and make plans. (laughs) Yeah. Or tell her the message and then she'll call me back. And even if he like, you know, found out that she was free and it's like, oh, cool. I'm going to try and like throw a surprise together for her. As soon as she was like, oh, actually, I do have other plans and, like, very clearly seems not into your idea, 
you need to back off. Exactly. And he then, like, even stops her, like, in her tracks and was like, I don't take no for an answer, which is beyond problematic for a million reasons. And it's something that over time, I think, since this time period, has, like, only been made more clear of how problematic it is, right? Like, you know, gone are the days of a guy basically stalking someone to get a date or saying I won't take no for an answer or all this gone into the days of thinking that is like endearing and like oh my god like you're chasing me like how sweet no it's fucking creepy yeah I mean like even think about the notebook came out in what like 2004 Mm -hmm. and we were like oh my god he crashed her other date and like threatened to throw himself off of the ferris wheel if she'd go out with him Mm -hmm. such a romantic story and now I'm just like no. What? What's wrong with us? Right. Like, homie was desperate and was willing to die to get this girl to say yes to him. Yeah. That is so manipulative. Mm-hmm. And then to make it even better, when she finally gives in and is like, okay, fine, you know, let me just go change or get my purse or whatever she does, David's like, I got to use that won't take no for an answer line. That was really smooth. Wrong person to overhear this conversation. <laughs> I know. I hope then, he doesn't use that. I mean, the good thing is, is like he won't have to with Claire because Claire's usually the one down for pretty much anything. But like, ugh. yeah, it's definitely not the thing to take away. And hopefully, you know, by the end of Donna's night, David realizes like, oh, I'm going to go ahead and just like backtrack that and erase it from my memory. Mm-hmm. Because... She goes with Griffin. He says, like, oh, I have my dad's keys. Everything is good. Turns out he has the keys to a private jet or airplane, like a little two-seater. He's flying her to Catalina Island. And he says he's always wanted to do something like this, but he never met the right girl to do it with. And he knew that Donna was the right girl because she has the perfect body temperature at any elevation. What is happening? A, what does that mean? I don't know. B, no one can control that. I Like, very small C, but y'all are 18. <laughs> you have so much time to find the girl to fly to Catalina Island. You can't be like, oh, in all of my 18 years, I've never met someone like you. Who is a perfect 98.5 degrees Fahrenheit <laughs> all year long. <laughs> I'm literally never 98.5 degrees. Oh, same. I'm like 97.7. That's like I'm a freaking radio station over here. But (laughs) I don't understand what body temperature has to do with – like what has Griffin got in his mind that's like, I got to find the girl the right temperature. Let me also take her pulse, her blood pressure. She's also warm on a mountain. Yeah. Like (laughs) Griffin is literally like – planning for survival mode He's like if this plane goes down thank goodness I'm with Donna oh my god I knew I was supposed to take those like uh blankets that are supposed to keep you really really warm but now I've got Donna so we're good like I don't get the point like Karen because we know <laughs> Karen Rosen I just want to know why <laughs> why body temperature why not you know something about her eyes or her hair or her personality sure 
I want to know, is this a line that someone used on you? <laughs> yeah. Karen, please tell us. I oh just want to know. I would love it. Like, because, yeah, we always, you know, writers always talk about how they're pulling from personal experience. I would truly love that someone in the real world has actually said these things to someone. And I need to know how it went in real life. Also, I envy the memory of Karen right? if this really did. I don't remember a damn thing any boy has ever said to me. <laughs> I remember one guy I went on one date with. And while we were, we went for like a lunch date. And while we were waiting for lunch, I don't remember exactly what he told me, but he was just like, if I really wanted to, I could put my hand through this table. It's just that like my brain is mentally stopping me from it and I have to break down those mental blocks. <laughs> Sir. I think he was trying to tell you he's the Flash. <laughs> he can do that I, thing where he vibrates and just phases <laughs> through the table. See, if he just told me that his entire body was a giant vibrator, would have worked a lot better on me. Hey, now that sounds like <laughs> a good time. <laughs> I know, right? If I could just stop thinking, I could put this hand <laughs> through this hand. No, that's like what he said. And I just remember sitting at this date being like, I need to get off the apps. <laughs> yeah, no joke, man. You got hand phase vibrator things i mean on the one hand it would be good on the <laughs> other hand it's impossible bro <laughs> yeah we were just we're not on the same wavelength i was like i'm an accountant <laughs> i'm gonna go yeah i just i i don't remember what any boy has said to me but i do think if somebody said something quite like that to me either what your lunch date boy <laughs> said or Griffin I don't even remember his last name Stone Stone yeah Griffin Stone said I think I'd remember it too I'd hope I would oh I would definitely remember if someone complimented my body temperature <laughs> god I would you know what now that I think about it <laughs> I wouldn't be too mad because my hands I feel like are either very cold or very hot and my feet are damn near always freezing. So maybe it's an insecurity on my end. <laughs> That's like, why can't you stay just the same temperature all the time? If only someone would recognize that about me. Then Caitlin, I'd be the perfect woman. <laughs> your temperature is so variable. Oh, <laughs> You know, Caitlin, I get really hot feet. So I would really appreciate your cold feet. And I would compliment you on it. So we should get married. All right, done. <laughs> I mean, I've been saying this forever. <laughs> All right. So, meanwhile, in mid flight, flight yeah, <laughs> Ray shows up to the beach apartment uh, because I guess Claire, well, no, because Donna couldn't reach Ray. So, it wasn't anything Claire did this time. Um, but mm. Ray shows up and he's like super gross to Claire for no reason. Yeah. Also, doesn't take no for an answer. He's like, oh, I'll wait inside. And she's like, no, that's not cool. I have somebody over. And he's like, I'll wait outside then. And she's like, no, she's on a date. Like, mm -hmm. you shouldn't wait up. And then he's like, what was that line he says? He's like, okay. He uses the word babe for some yeah. reason. Because well, Claire says like, Ray, babe. She's oh, out on right. a date. Don't wait up. And he's like, okay, fine, babe. And then 
smashes the pumpkins, which we see later, like a totally normal person. I Nothing to be know. concerned about. Ray, your know. family grew those pumpkins. <laughs> yeah. You could have sold those, sir, for a profit. The biggest pumpkin of the season? Take it to a fucking fair. Don't throw it off a balcony. Yeah. I was just going to say, that is a blue ribbon pumpkin, sir. <laughs> and a- now their neighbor has to clean it up. Right? Oh, it's a great big pumpkin, Charlie Brown, and you ruined it. Yeah. Is that what it's called? A great big pumpkin or just the great pumpkin? The great pumpkin. Damn. Ah. But yeah, like, why does, first of all, that is his house. (laughs) Second of all, what did he smash the pumpkins with? Was it a bat? If so, terrifying. Was it his hands? If so, terrifying. Did he just walk up a flight of stairs with these little pumpkin and giant pumpkin? If so, that's dedication. (laughs) No. So I think they sometimes put the beach apartment on the main floor and sometimes they put it on the second floor because Donna looks over the balcony and sees it. Oh, So like, yeah, you have to imagine that Ray just like hulked out and like just lifted this thing above his head and threw it. (laughs) Oh my God. Because he had to get it over the railing. Right. He had to like power clean that thing. (laughs) Yes. Good Lord. Ray was into CrossFit before CrossFit was CrossFit. (laughs) It's the uh, the earthquake um, retrofitting diet or whatever. He you know does construction and he lifts pumpkins every fall. That's his workout plan. I mean, he probably is actually in pretty good shape if that's his if that's his occupation. What's the name of the one in the Hunger Games that's really strong for carrying bags of flour? Uh, Peta. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Now we have Peter the whole oh, hedgehog. Means, that means Donna is Katniss. Well, and Griffin is freaking Gale. <laughs> right? I guess. I guess so. I mean, I hate them both, so sure it tracks. I can see Gale whisking Katniss off on a private plane, like whatever the equivalent is. Yeah, and she would hate it and he wouldn't care. Exactly. Yeah, because he'd always be like, this is good for you, and just do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, I mean, <laughs> that's essentially what he does next. Yeah. Which, like, before we get there, though, this is where Claire and David are just, like, hacking away at a watermelon in her bed with a giant knife. Yeah, like, I think it's the same hunting knife that Ray had. <laughs> Last episode, Donna told Claire about it, and she was like, this gives me an idea. <laughs> I've always wanted to eat an entire watermelon in bed. I know the yeah. perfect thing to use. <laughs> Let me tell you what the sexiest fruit is not. <laughs> watermelon. Like, she takes that giant piece, and it's just like, you're going to put this whole thing in your mouth, and, like, that's the hot date. It felt like... Both of the scenarios with Claire and David and Donna and Ray, at least, felt very childlike. Because when I'm thinking like decorate pumpkins, I didn't, for some reason, I didn't think, because he said decorate pumpkins, not carve pumpkins. So Mm -hmm. I was thinking like, you know, the painted pumpkins or whatever you do at the fall festival. And I'm like, a child would want to do that, not 
an 18 year old and then with yeah with claire and david it's like oh they're gonna have a little like sticky watermelon fight like when it was like the last day of school in elementary school and you'd get a bunch of watermelon both of these are gonna end in like being messy and not in like a hot way yeah like yeah yeah well you would think because claire tells david to take a shirt off she he could borrow one of hers he goes into her bottom drawer where he finds her handcuffs and then knowing he was planning to handcuff himself to her bed proceeds to put a shirt on david now <laughs> she can't get the shirt off my dude <laughs> i just i noticed that cuz like she comes back in he's handcuffed she's like oh this is totally something i would do they realize that they don't have the key because she lost it presumably at the walsh's house i guess brandon has it and then she starts like pulling up his shirt and is like i'm gonna have my way with you and i was like this wouldn't be a problem if he just never put the shirt on it's true but it doesn't matter because chancellor arnold also decided to this episode is full of surprises it's the surprise episode maybe this is who's zooming who is everyone is zooming everyone or maybe Zoom in is just like who's surprising who? Like who like Zoom in means yeah. surprise. Yeah. And it's the answer is everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then there's this whole like somehow throwing a bunch of shit on the bed means that Chancellor Arnold does not realize there's a boy in the bed, which I don't think is how anything works. It wasn't a terrible idea. Like because she had so many clothes. If she didn't have that many clothes to throw on the bed. You could clearly see somebody in the bed, but mm. it wasn't a terrible idea, just a poor execution. I also think it's a little weird that he was like, show me your bedroom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was weird, which I guess the only thing I could think of is like, that's the only space in the apartment that is hers. So it technically wouldn't be any different than let me see your dorm room, but she I just mean, happens to live in an apartment. I guess. I don't know. I never like had my parents over to see my apartment. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I get it. But she and Chancellor Arnold leave, and then David basically has to sit by himself waiting for this locksmith and keeps yelling correctly that there is no one to answer the door <laughs> when the locksmith gets there. Which that was actually a pretty funny bit throughout the whole episode because, like, Claire comes back, she leaves – then later on we see which we'll we'll go to the, the donna griffin scene um in a sec but like donna comes back later and david's there and then she leaves and he still can't get up so that was like actually a pretty good bit throughout the whole episode oh i loved it i loved that everyone was just like no i have something more important to do <laughs> and then we find out at the very end of the episode that david has to break himself out of the bed which is also hilarious and it makes me think of um gosh what what tv show or movie was it where they were handcuffed. Somebody was handcuffed to like the radiator and they like pull off the radiator with the handcuffs still on and like beat somebody with it. Wasn't that in Titanic? Oh, or maybe no. it he was. was. That was a pipe. That, oh, was, that a pipe. was a pipe. That was a pipe. Well, and she had to take the axe to break the handcuffs oh, off yeah. the pipe. But yeah, before Donna comes home to find David attached to the radiator. We see her on Catalina Island with Griffin. It's this super awkward dinner where she tries to order vanilla ice cream. He takes the menu out of her hands, changes her order, and it's just like, you can have vanilla ice cream anytime. Like, bro, she can have tiramisu anytime. 
And like tiramisu is a very strong flavor, especially compared to vanilla. Like maybe she didn't want that. I think the biggest thing for me in this scene, like besides the ordering, it felt, and maybe this is because I just watched that show Cruel Summer, but it felt very like grooming, like, you know, like very much like, nope, you're going to do, you're going to order what I want you to, because this is what's best for you. And I know what's best for you. You don't. And so I'm only doing this to like, for your well-being. Oh, yeah. It's very controlling. Yeah. Like, you know, after that, he says that, you know, I don't remember exactly what he says, but he basically says like, oh, yeah, we'll get to see the sun come up. We don't have to go to sleep. I got a hotel room, all this stuff. And then Donna's like, let me guess. It's with a big king-size bed. And then Mm -hmm. Griffin keeps being like, like this and being like, well, I just won't touch you. I'll be a perfect gentleman. And she's like, uh, that's not the point. Right. She's like, a perfect gentleman would never have surprised me with this. Like, would have asked me what I wanted to do on a date or would have at least confirmed plans or whatever before we just went and did all these, like, things that I never had a say in. Yeah. I feel like there's a difference between, like, a romantic surprise and a surprise sleepover on a remote island. Well, and knowing, like, what we know about Donna, like, Griffin knows she's a virgin. Griffin knows, like, that this is a big deal for her. Like, you like you said, there's a big, big difference between just planning a romantic surprise and then springing something on her that is going to make her uncomfortable. You can't sit there and say that you didn't think it was going to make her uncomfortable. Yeah, I feel like this was his whole, like, you know, last episode she bailed on him to go to the pumpkin patch with Ray. So maybe he thinks that if he doesn't do something big, he's going to lose her. Right. And so he tried to do some big romantic gesture and just blew it. Just right. totally blew it. Yep. Went way too far. Yeah. Like, I I have no idea if in the coming episodes he'll still be around, but I feel like I – would be really upset if Donna continues to date him. Yeah, I th- I honestly don't remember, but I do I do think it's going to have to come to like a bigger confrontation perhaps with Griffin and Ray. Um and she'll have to choose, which is a scary thought. <laughs> yeah, cuz you know, she comes home, she finds David in the bed, they're sitting there talking. She tells him about the date with Griffin. At which point David tells her the race stopped by earlier and smashed the pumpkins. And she runs off to go apologize to Ray, mm-hmm. which is not good. And even David is like, yeah, he's a pretty intense guy, isn't he? Yeah. And this is kind of the, I guess the first, I guess, I guess the first signs that A, to the viewer, he's intense, but also to other people. And by intense, we mean by smashing pumpkins, getting angry, storming off, like pretty big signs of anger and frustration. Um, And it's not just us seeing it now. It's, it's David. It's, I think Claire a little bit because of that confrontation, things like that. And then obviously Kelly's never really liked him. Yeah, and that's, you know, a whole separate thing. But still, you know, there's going to be some confirmation bias when they're talking about this and Kelly's like, oh, yeah, I didn't like him from the get-go. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, like you said, Donna, like, runs to the pumpkin patch, is 
looking around, finds a cute little pumpkin, and then Ray just, like, sneaks up on her and straight up scares her. Yeah, and then she's like, oh, my date was terrible. I'm so sorry that I bailed on you. And then Ray is like, I trashed your pumpkins, and you're asking me to forgive you. And then said, I don't know what came over me. It's only because I care about you. And that is not an excuse to destroy someone's stuff. No. Like, he says so many wrong things here. Like, there was one right thing where he's like, I did something bad and you're asking me to forgive you. Like, that's a correct thing to say because you acknowledge what you did was wrong and that Donna doesn't even need to apologize. That's a good thing. But then it's completely overshadowed by two other bad things when he calls Donna crazy for coming out here. I guess he means coming out here alone to try to find him, whatever. Uh, and then, yeah, like you said, he says he doesn't know what came over him and that he, like, I guess I just care too much. Like, that's no, that's not an excuse. Yeah. You stop at, I don't know what came over me. I apologize. There's no excuse for my behavior. Exactly. I really care about you. I hope you'll give me another chance. Yeah. Which would be the good way to say it. But no, now we have Donna in a triangle with two very controlling men. And yeah, like. You know, I feel like she shouldn't keep seeing either of them, but I'm sure neither of them are actually going to leave her life now that we think about how controlling they are. And let's think about it. Control runs deep in the Martin family. Oh, yeah. Felice would have just a field day telling Donna how disappointed she is in her if she breaks up with Griffin. Yep. Um, And then I think the last thing we really see with this storyline is the next day David's telling Steve about what happened with the handcuffs and tells him that Claire got her dad to basically drive across town for her favorite Chinese food. And then they saw a double feature. (laughs) Yeah. So she just kept her dad away for like six hours while David was trapped. At least six hours. Cause you gotta think like an hour and a half minimum per movie. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's already three hours. The drive out there is probably a good 30, 45 minutes, if I had to guess. So that's another hour at least. So now you're at four hours. And then, yeah, however long it takes to, to eat dinner and then drive back. Like, yeah. Claire, what were you thinking, girl? Like, you didn't need to keep him out that long. <laughs> right? Like, Dinner would have probably been enough. He doesn't need to come back in a second time after that. Exactly. He could have just dropped her off and then, you know, he's none the wiser. Claire's just an agent of chaos. She so is. I love it. She, she's fun. I I didn't like what was going on with her last season, but like she is she's growing on me. Yeah, she's funny. Um and Yeah, I mean, that's about it with David. That, like, last scene of him and Steve kind of goes into something else we'll talk about later. So, Mary, what else happened this week? When Kelly comes to pick Aaron up to watch her for a little while, Jackie zooms around all frantic over a photo shoot for a Fabulous at 40 campaign. See, I I used the word zoom. Did you like that? Oh, (laughs) Oh, I heard it. (laughs) Kelly reminds Jackie that modeling made things difficult for her in the past, and she says she hopes this doesn't become a regular thing. Jackie's like, no worries there, baby. I'm old as fuck. Then she kisses her babies and she's off. When Mel comes to pick up Aaron, he asks Kelly if she remembers the time she told him modeling warped her self-image growing up. 
Kelly asks when he started worrying about Jackie's self-esteem, and he clarifies that he meant Aaron. Apparently, the modeling thing is a mother-daughter photo shoot, and Jackie just didn't tell Kelly. Kelly confronts Jackie about that, and Jackie tells her to stick around and just make sure Aaron's okay during the shoot. Kelly's like, yeah, okay, sorry, I freaked out. But then, at the shoot, after one lady says mean things about Jackie to Kelly, the director informs Jackie that they're moving her slot down in line again. Kelly says this is too late for Aaron to stay up, and Claude, the director, is like, we'll just reschedule. Jackie yells at Kelly for interfering. Kelly turns up at Casa Walsh to meet Brandon, not knowing the Walshes didn't go on the trip they were supposed to go on. Cindy greets her at the door, and good thing too because Kelly needs ice cream. She and Cindy have a good conversation about Kelly's problems with Jackie and the whole photo shoot thing. Jackie finds Kelly and Boomy having a look at Jackie's old modeling photos. <laughs> Kelly apologizes for the way she acted and acknowledges how much Jackie has grown over the past three years and stuff. Thanks, Cindy. Jackie confesses that she really didn't want Kelly in the photo shoot because people might assume she's a grandmother and she's not ready to be old. Kelly says she didn't think she was pretty enough to be in the photo shoot and that made her sad. Jackie tells Kelly she's beautiful and that she's proud to show her off as her daughter. This was a storyline, quite honestly, I never thought we would get. Like, I know. Addressing the trauma. Never would have thought. I know. And, like, honestly, it's really only maybe, like, five really short scenes. Like, this does not take up a lot of real estate in this episode and I feel like it gives us so much information about these characters. For sure. And it makes me wonder, like, if other showrunners for other characters that go through a, a trauma, which, I mean, let's be real, most television characters have a trauma of some sort. It makes me wonder if they just, uh, you know, think that it's going to take so much time and they, they're going to have to spend multiple episodes or multiple scenes or whatever kind of addressing it. And this really does show you, like, you can handle it in one episode. Not that it only needs one episode, but that you can address it in a way that doesn't feel rushed, it feels well-paced, and it gets to the heart of where the trauma began and kind of, like, where you are now. Um, and they did it well. I, I really actually, like I said, I, I didn't know we were ever going to get it, but I'm glad we had it, and I wish other shows would have taken more notice. Yeah, and I I think, you know, even on top of that, the conversation that Kelly has with Cindy where they bring up the uh, fashion show in mm -hmm. high school and, mm -hmm. like, that was the first time she met Jackie, the first time we saw Jackie with her drugs, and then even that, like, Brenda being embarrassed to have Cindy come to the fashion show with her, like, that one little line of Cindy being like, oh, that's the excuse that Brenda gave me, which I do think was our first Brenda mention of the episode. I think so, too. Like, honestly, she just had to say that. And I was like, oh, my gosh, all of this is coming flooding back to me. Like, I understand everything that Kelly's coming from. Mm -hmm. I get it. Like, it, this is just done so well. Yeah. And it almost doesn't feel like a main plot like it feels very c plot this episode and that's kind of my point is that it doesn't have to be as overwhelming and as like focal point as maybe people people think because i'm even thinking about 
you know, shows I watch now, and it's like, why aren't people de- like addressing this trauma? Like this character literally just had XYZ happen to them. Why aren't we addressing it? Maybe it's not appropriate to address it right as it happens, but this just shows you like something that triggers you can allow you to focus on it. Maybe not when you needed to, but later on, right? Like, mm-hmm. obviously, this happened in season one of the yeah. show, and, and we're in season very four. early. Yeah, and so having Kelly be triggered by this, by the fact that Aaron is is in this scene, at least is in the world. That triggered Kelly to think, oh, my God, I don't want her to go through what I went through. So let's 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 figure this out. Let's talk about this. And that was a perfect kind of like reintroduction into that trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think like, you know, they also benefited from all of these little things like we saw Mel show up to pick up Aaron and he's the one being like, oh, yeah, you know, Jackie had to tell me that Aaron was going to be modeling because I'm her dad. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this is how I'm giving you this information. Like, there were just little things that they threw into this that I feel like made a huge impact. Without, like, I also think, you know, we definitely benefit from Jenny Garth being fantastic. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking about that when I was watching the episode. And I'm a little worried that they're going to make me hate Kelly. And I'm mad Oh, I'm about positive. It. I'm positive she's going to do something to piss us off. Like, even her whole Ray thing, like, it does feel very classist for no reason. Like, I know they're trying to do the whole intuition thing, but like we talked about last episode, she had never met Ray when she decided he was a serial killer. Exactly. And so, like you just, what you just said about the fact that Jenny Garth is great, I'm really worried that they're going to like use that against us, right? Like turn her into not a villain because I think we all know my relationship with villains, but like (laughs) not a villain in a good way, not a villain with depth, just a purely like hateful person. Um, It, yeah, it'll be, it'll be like our kind of relationship with Steve that we have, where we're like, I really want to like you, but they keep doing stuff to make you suck. Right. And it's like, no matter what, delivery and how great the quality of of acting jenny can put on it it's not gonna make me like her like anymore so i'm not gonna look forward to it whereas with these scenes like i look forward to those scenes because as we've seen in the past the best actors on this show are shannon doherty and jenny garth so and luke perry but like Mm. so really that's an aside but yeah i mean i think giving her this material is perfect because she can handle it Yeah. No, I completely agree. And even like, you know, I'm going to skip over the details of this because I do think Mary covered it pretty succinctly. Like there are some little things that pop up that really just like build out Kelly and Jackie and their relationship and all of this stuff to the point that, yeah, five seasons in, I'm like, oh my God, I'm learning so much new stuff about Kelly. Like when she, you know, when she goes to see Cindy and says that modeling with her mom, like her mom would make comments about her weight and her appearance. And she was like, yeah, I got fat up until high school partially to get back at her. Like, yep. that that just brings up more of her like history with disordered eating that we did actually see play out on the show and like kind of builds it up. Well, and if we think about it, we've kind of criticized the show in the past for not necessarily for having Kelly – have a um a negative relationship 
with food, but not understand like not understanding you know where its place is because we you know she would eat that chocolate you know like all of a sudden be like totally cool eating all this chocolate and then chips her tooth and that sort of thing, and we were like why would you have her do this like she's the one that counts calories she's the one that takes speed she's the one that you know does da 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 da, and. I think this, like you had mentioned, this just kind of peels back the layers a little bit. Like, oh, maybe that's how she addresses like negative feelings, right? She kind of, you know, binges a little bit or eats bad food when she's dealing with something in order to get back at someone or in order to feel control or something like that, um, mm-hmm. which still is not great, but it, at least there's an explanation for it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's actually very interesting that she's having this whole conversation with Cindy over ice cream. Mm-hmm. Like I know the show uses ice cream as the tool of like we're all going to sit at the table and eat ice cream and talk about our feelings. Yeah. And it's just weird because like, you know, Kelly is essentially being triggered by this past trauma that she had that gave her this distorted view of herself. And, you know, she treated it back then by eating and then she lost all the weight probably partially from, you know, peer pressure of her friends, let alone her mother. And then went way too far on the other end, started taking speed and developing an eating disorder in the other direction, is trying to recover from that. And then now all of this trauma is being brought up again. And the first thing she is, is like using food as a comfort. I For think sure. very interesting. Absolutely. And I think it was important that Cindy doesn't dismiss any of Kelly's feelings, doesn't even try to defend Jackie, but just mention like, this is why this is different. Like, this is why you can talk to her now, right? Like, because think about it. When this was happening the first time with the, you know, they mentioned the mother-daughter fashion show back in season one, there is no way Kelly could have talked to Jackie at this level back then. So Cindy just points out that not not only are you in a place where you can talk to her now, but she got married, she had a baby, and got divorced completely sober. And that's why it matters that you can, you know, like that stuff matters. It's not to defend her. It's not to dismiss your feelings or trauma or anything. It's to say, this is why it's okay that you're talking to me, but you should also talk to her. Yeah. No, I love Cindy being like, Jackie is in a different place, just like you're in a different place and your relationship is so much better. And then Kelly takes it to heart and goes to Jackie's to talk to her and our you know, emotional support boom mic drops in just so she has it. <laughs> yep. And, like, you know, she even says, like, I've been too hard on you because of our past. I won't, you know, butt it anymore unless you ask me. And I do wish you would ask me. And then, you know, they both get to the root of it where, like, Jackie doesn't want to be seen as old by having a 20-year-old daughter and a baby. And then Kelly is like, oh, well, I thought you didn't want me here because you thought I wasn't pretty enough, which is – you know, coming from her past traumas of her mom judging her for her weight mm-hmm. back when she had a drug addiction. Exactly. And then they make up and they're so cute and they hug and I love them. I do love them. It was a great casting decision um, for them to be mother and daughter. It was, they just, they're great. I like their scenes. I always have like their scenes together. I know, like they work really well together mm-hmm. it makes me very happy me too like it makes me really happy that at least that storyline ended positively oh for sure yeah for sure because uh i don't think anything else does <laughs> yeah now we're to the big a plot 
We're still calling it the pee pad, right? Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> Steve's still doing the pee pad, which is going so good until it isn't. The fire marshal shows up and says the building is over capacity and shuts the party down after Steve definitely didn't try to bribe him. That money was just for the fine. Steve promises to pay Nat back for that, by the way. Nat says no more pee pad. David's like, what if we make it cost twice as much and only let in half the people? Claire's like, let's find another venue. The rug store next door has been going out of business for a while, and Steve seems to think he can kill it for good and take over the lease. Nat's like, with whose money? And Val, ready to stir up some trouble, suggests asking Dylan. Steve meets Dylan at the carpet store where everyone of the above except Nat pressures him into making a decision quickly, but also say yes. Nat tells them, no, stop that. Like, let him make a decision. Sleep on it if you have to. And Dylan's like, $150,000? Sure, okay, give me coffee. Jim and Cindy are actually trying to have a baby. What the fuck? <laughs> They're headed to Palm Springs to have fun the old-fashioned way. Jim just has to wait for one last fax before they can leave. The paper prints and a deep line forms between Jim's brows as he realizes this is a Dylan-related document. Even though Dylan is no longer Jim's client, Dylan never finished the paperwork. So whenever something happens related to Dylan's house, Jim has to sign it. Jim thinks it sure is odd that Dylan would use his home as collateral for a loan. Valerie suggests maybe Dylan doesn't have money. The Walshes are like, ha, huh, preposterous. But then she's like, no, really, he's broke. Jim, Cindy, Brandon, and Val piece together what happened to Dylan. Jim feels really terrible. After all, it could have been their money, too. Anyway, he's going to the office to do something about it, I guess. Val apologizes for ruining Jim and Cindy's trip, causing Jim to be like, hey, wait a minute, I told you to stay away from him. Val gives them an extremely watered-down version of her interactions with Dylan, and they just buy it for some reason. Dylan coughs into the peach pit later. Nat pulls him into the back where they find Big Jimbo. Surprise, surprise, they're both dicks to each other instead of allowing themselves to be vulnerable and admit they both suck. At least then maybe Nat wouldn't look so sad. Brandon confronts Val and tells her to stop seeing Steve if she wants to be with Dylan. Val says she's not with Dylan and she totally appreciates Steve, the great guy, but also understands Dylan who is sad and traumatized. Brandon says something and Val closes the door. She runs off to Dylan's and just walks right in. She apologizes for telling on him to the Walshes. They fight and she basically admits that she just wanted to move into Brenda's old life because hers sucked. And now that Dylan's thought about it, he can't really blame her. They hug. Nobody's told Steve and David that Dylan's broke yet, so they show up at his house to drop off plans for the new and bigger pee pad. Oh, and Valerie's still there, by the way. She's lounging out back. After a half-assed attempt at not being noticed, she tells Steve it's not what he thinks, which means it's obviously what he thinks. Steve punches Dylan in the face. Like, okay, so I, I mentioned this before we were recording Brandon is really not in this episode realistically because he is directing – Jason Priestley is directing the next episode. And now that we're talking about this whole storyline, I'm like, it seems kind of weird that Brandon didn't go talk to Dylan. Oh, 100%. Like, it's 
it almost would have made more sense if instead of the Dylan Jim scene, well, and Nat, he was there too. We got Dylan, Nat, Brandon first. Which I, I honestly think you, we would benefit from having both. Like I really yeah. liked Jim going to the peach pit, telling Nat what happened and being like, look, he's trying to take a loan out on his house for collateral. You're his business partner. Do you know what this is for? We have to stop him from doing this. We have to figure out a plan. And then, you know, Nat comes in on it because he and Dylan have a pretty good, you know, back and forth. Mm -hmm. And then when that fails, Jim goes home. He's broody about it. He tells Brandon. Brandon goes over to Dylan's house and is like, hey, I know what happened. I know we haven't been friends for a while. Let's talk about this. Yeah, it seemed very much like he was almost needed, not in the sense that he was actually needed, but needed for like glue purposes, you know, like connecting things, because that is something that Brandon inherently would do. He would insert himself to try to be the person who fixes it, right? And who kind of like gets the chance to reason with Dylan and and things like that. Yeah. And I mean, it would just... It kind of reinforces this idea to the viewer that Brandon and Dylan aren't very good friends because logistically Jason Priestley was not available to shoot a bunch of scenes. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like if they said like, okay, you can have him for one day of shooting and then other than that, he's got to prep or direct or, you know, whatever, then I feel like they should have written a scene with him and Dylan. Right. Like out of his three-ish scenes that we got, one of them should have been with Dylan. Agreed. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, we have, of the Brandon scenes, we have the one, <laughs> my note says, Cindy tells Jim that they have the green light to bang it out, and then Brandon and Val walk in. Ugh, yeah, because, yeah, so that was one thing I was almost afraid that we weren't going to mention it, because when we were organizing, you know, how the order in which we were going to talk, I forgot, and then I was just scrolling through my notes, and I'm like, oh, no. They actually address that Jim and Cindy are literally going to try to have another baby in Palm Springs. Which I feel like they, like, when Cindy brought it up, Jim was like, no. And then she's like, oh, yeah, I went to the doctor and I was waiting for him to be like, why did you go to the doctor? Right. You got a cough due to cold? Like, what? Yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, I don't know how this is all going to resolve itself because, like, they have that. Brandon and Val walk in. There's like a whole thing about like, oh, we're going to be late to Palm Springs because your father's a workaholic, like kind of throwaway lines mm-hmm. just to get us to the point of finding out that Dylan has no money. Right. Because that most important facts, which I can't assume was Dylan's facts, but no. what we got was Dylan's facts. And it was, yeah, that he's using his house as collateral to get money to buy this rug store uh, or to lease it rather. Which... I got to say, I don't understand what Valerie was doing. Like, she's the one that was like, just talk to Dylan. He's supposed to have all this money. Like, girl, I don't know if you are taking, you're acting too far. You're trying to, you know, sow more discord. You're trying to force this whole thing to come out. Like, I don't know. But if she cares about Dylan, like she says says she does, she shouldn't have pushed for this. She shouldn't have pushed for this in the rug store. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't get it. Yeah, I think it's – that's a good point. 
Yeah. I mean, we all know she, like Claire, is an agent of chaos. Now, I, I will say, I think it's two ends of this chaos spectrum, right? I think Claire is probably chaotic good in her heart of hearts. Valerie, I'm not yet ready to call chaotic evil, but at the very least, chaotic neutral. Um, yeah. She'll let things happen as they fall, but she'll she'll try to stir things up, too. And I think to your point, like, yeah, in the very beginning, that's when she's like, well, why don't you just go to Dylan? He has all this money to the friends, right, to to the kiddos and that. But then later on, when they're after the post facts, Val, I guess, feels compelled to spill the beans and reveal that, oh, no, no, Dylan's broke. And I almost wonder because there was one line. Maybe she got annoyed by this because we're seeing how testy she is when it comes to Brenda. Now that I'm thinking about it, there's a line right before that. And Brandon says that he, he thinks he's spending money or he's spending money like crazy. And Jim says something like, oh, do you think it's because he's still jealous about Kelly? And Brandon's like, yeah, I think so. I'm, Brandon, you're not his friend. You don't know. A, he doesn't give a shit about you or Kelly right now, like at all. And so I'm wondering if maybe Valerie was like, well, no, 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 no. That's not true. He's not jealous. He's with me because she's insecure. So she's like, oh, no, no, no. He's broke. That's it. He doesn't have money. Well, yeah, because Brandon also says that he's heard that Dylan has a different girl at his house every night. And then you see Valerie's face where she was like, you know, I have to insert myself back into this. It's not mm -hmm. that he has other people at his house. It's that, you know, he got really drunk at the peach pit and told she needs to come up with more stories. Also, oh God, this is I the know. second time that she's been like, he was really drunk at the peach pit and he just did blah, blah, blah. And he was so drunk. He's not going to remember it the next day to cover her own tracks. I'm like, girl. Well, yeah, you see the different, this is actually a great acting choice by um, uh, Tiffany Thiessen because her eyes change. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but it's like she turns from this doe-eyed, like for me, it'd be like wrinkles constantly just like on my forehead, but on her, she doesn't have any wrinkles because she's gorgeous, but like, she's just constantly like, oh, well, well, no, like, <laughs> you know, she's very much like, well, and he tried to kiss me, but I didn't let him. And I really don't think he'd remember it. He, he was just really drunk, but you know what? It's okay. Like, you know, very much like that to like, then sultry, like eyes down, dark eyes, like very much like, I'm going to manipulate you and I know what I'm doing. She's very good at that, like, duality of the character she's playing. Um, but, yeah, all in this scene, she's the doe-eyed good girl here, just the victim in all this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, I mean, we see the other side of it later because, so, you know, she tells the Walshes everything that she knows that Kevin and Suzanne – Con Dylan stole all of his money. Cindy refuses to believe that Erica was involved. Then they're like, oh, yeah, but I wouldn't put it past her mother. And then, like, starting to put all the pieces back together. <laughs> At which point, Jim is so thankful that they didn't put their own money in it. And I was like, bro, that wasn't the con. No. Like, the whole point of the con was to convince everyone to want to put their money in and then Kevin pulling Dylan away mm -hmm. and isolating him. That's how cons work. Right. Jim exactly. was – Jim was never in danger of losing his money. Mm -mm, never. It was always Dylan. It was always going to be Dylan. Yeah. And then, you know, Jim is still trying to piece all this together. This is about the time that he realizes, like, I need to go talk to Dylan. 
So he tells Cindy they can't go out of town. And then Brandon says, great timing, Val. Like, how dare Valerie ruin his weekend that Kelly was going to stay at his house with him when his best friend is going through a downward spiral? Right. Bruh. Also, they have an apartment to go to. I just, like, and even when Kelly shows up later with her bags, Cindy isn't like, this is inappropriate. She's just like, oh, hey, Kelly. Like, you can see her eyes kind of look at the bag a couple of times, but then it's like, she didn't say anything. The homegirl said, I need ice cream. Mama comes running. (laughs) It just, this is the thing. They, if they only had Jason Priestley for a little while, why did they use him for this? Yeah, I agree. No, I totally agree. I mean, the only thing I can think of is just like literally because it was easy, but you know, and not a long, long day or something. But yeah, I totally agree. It's it's the things that he said. The only thing I liked about Brandon um, in this episode, which this isn't about Brandon or about Jason Priestley, because I know he had to go prepare for his his episode. But I actually really like that blue short sleeve Henley he was wearing. Like, I thought it looked nice on him. I'm a sucker for navy blue, but also I like a good Henley on a guy, and I thought he pulled it off well, so congrats, Jason Priestley. (laughs) I mean, his other scene in this episode, I really appreciated. Like, I really liked Brandon in this. I mean, Brandon's doing his thing where he's like, good guy Brandon, kind of inserting himself on behalf of his friend. He should have done it for Steve and for Dylan, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, that's, I guess, neither here nor there. You know, we get the whole scene where Dylan goes to the peach pit, Jim is waiting for him. Nat tries to force them to talk. And then Dylan in this, you know, bottom out that he's in is just like, you just can't wait to say, I told you so. And all of this and like pushing Jim away, Jim gets frustrated and storms out rather than like trying to let Dylan, let other people be there for him. Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like these are classic signs. Like Dylan is just, pushing people away because he feels so bad and everyone is letting it happen. Totally. And I think to that point, it's like at a certain point, Jim has to be the adult. And I realize and I recognize that Dylan is also an adult, but he's very close to being a kid. Um, He's 18 or 19 at best. And Jim is not only a parent, but he's an accountant, right? Like he, he's both of these things. And this is clearly a your son's close friend who is clearly crying out for help and your pride is in the way. And it's, it's quite frustrating. Yeah. I mean, that's a constant thing with the Walshes and Mm -hmm. Dylan and I get it. It makes great TV. It just, it frustrates me so much because, you know, being an adult watching this show and seeing like an 18 year old clearly in pain. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to help him. And I want to be like, Jim, get your ass up and help him. Right. And and it's like Nat can only do so much. Like, Nat essentially brought the horses to water. He was just hoping they'd drink. But no, they've got to argue and prove each other right and all this stuff. When, when in reality, Jim should be doing the whole, like, I always think about this for some reason when there's like a big you know, like you're not letting your pride get in the way kind of situation for some reason. I always think about the episode of Boy Meets World where Sean joins the cult and Corey gives him that hug, you know, and he's like, this is a hug. Yes. 
Like, I I don't know why I always go there, but for some reason, I always think, like, no, Jim should wrap him up in a hug and say, no, you are talking to me. We are figuring this out. It doesn't matter if I'm not your um, accountant or whatever he is to him anymore. We're fixing this. Or at least we're, like, helping you get on your feet or something like that. And because I also think that makes great TV as well. So, yeah. Well, and, like, <laughs> okay, go with me on this. Oh, boy. So Jim ran a background check on Suzanne. So he he knows her social security number. Brenda worked with the FBI about the animal rights stuff. So he knows someone in the FBI. <laughs> Find Suzanne. I have no idea if what she did was technically illegal or not since like Dylan is the one that opened the bank account with them. Like mm-hmm. could totally be legal, but could also – give Dylan some sense of closure and allow him to move on with his life and start like taking better care of himself if they did any effort whatsoever to try and find her because Dylan's just like no I have no idea where they are and they just drop it Mm -hmm. they just drop it like it was meant to be dropped I'm so annoyed by that because Erica was like they're talking about taking me to Brazil or South America is what she said I think yeah Mm mm-hmm and yes, it's it's a big place, but they went to a regular ass airport. That's like there has to have been something. Even just trying might make Dylan feel better. Agreed. I think that's the point. It was where he probably did exhaust all of his resources, but what resources did he realistically have? Not many, especially if he was wiped out of his money. And so, yeah, he just. For Erica's sake, for his own sake, he probably just needs to get some closure. Yeah. No, I think it would be great. And, you know, maybe even that could be Brandon's idea. I don't know. Sure, why not? Give it to him. He gets all the other good ideas. <laughs> right? I'm not against it. Like, I I feel like Brandon has definitely been a voice of reason and a sounding board for Jim mm-hmm. before. So, like, true. I'm for it. Which, speaking of Brandon, we get another scene Right after this, well, not right after, but after this confrontation between Jim and Dylan, and it's essentially Valerie trying to bail on Steve because she's quote unquote tired. Um, and Brandon walks in to basically talk about the Dylan situation, but not necessarily about the money, more about the relationship because he's starting to defend Steve because he's picked up on that, oh no, Valerie's been a lot closer to Dylan than she's let on. Um mm-hmm. And this is where they talk about basically the differences between Steve and Dylan, which I don't think is fair. Um, but also, like, mentioning Brenda here. I Brenda gets a lot of mentions in this scene and the next scene with Valerie. Yep. And I know it's because, like, you know, Dylan and her finally uncover, like, oh, I'm just trying to step into Brenda's life because my life is terrible. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I don't remember exactly – what they say about Steve, but Brandon calls Dylan a loner with a big, big chip on his shoulder and no sense of humor. It's like, well, that's a little rude. Right. Yeah. It's essentially the, the, um, opposite or whatever, what Valerie says, like, cause Valerie says like, he's fun. He's outgoing, like all this kind of stuff. So Brandon's like, well, okay, if we're going that route, well, Dylan sucks. Like, and, and rattles off all the ways. I'm like, this is not fair to your friend when he's clearly going through stuff. If he's lost all of his money, Brandon, don't you think that would affect him in some way? And yeah, then it's like, it gets personal in the sense that 
Brandon does mention Brenda and says, well, you wouldn't be the first girl I shared a bathroom with who thought she could heal his wounded psyche. Yeah. We all know Brandon's always thought he's better than Dylan, but this just like seals it for me. And like, I feel like this is another one of those things where even if Jason Priestley was available, who knows if we would have gotten this on screen, but I feel like he and Kelly have to be talking about this. They have to be. Like, they have to have had conversations at some point. They never talk or see each other in this entire episode. Mm -hmm. And, like, we get a whole part where, you know, he never tells Kelly that Jim and Cindy aren't going to Palm Springs. But, like, other things are a lot more important, so that might have just slipped his mind. Right, exactly. So it's all crazy, and this clearly affects Valerie because then – like um, Mary had mentioned in her synopsis, she just kind of walks into the door. He's already angry because I guess he's kind of by like in the way that Jim had come had talked to him about the money thing. He knows that's where she got, or yeah, he got it from was her. But in reality, it was the facts. And 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 Valerie's trying to correct the situation here and try to say, "Hey, this wasn't my fault. I didn't even know what I walked into." And then here it is, and then. They say some weird line of like, you don't know how intimidating Jim Walsh can be. And Dylan like repeats it. And I'm like, oh, I know how intimidating Jim Walsh. I'm like, is he that intimidating? What am I missing here? He's just big Jimbo. Right. Like, and I think it's because, you know, we're the viewers and not like him when Brenda, you know, moved out of her parents' house and into Dylan's house and then made Dylan have to deal with her father when they were (laughs) 17. Right. But yeah, it's like. Brenda mentioned after Brenda mentioned after Brenda mentioned because, you know, she's talking about how intimidating Jim is. Dylan's like, well, you need to learn how to stand up to him. And then the specific quote I wrote down was, why was I never good enough for their daughter? At least Brenda had the guts to call them out on it. Which I don't. That struck me as a line of, okay, do you actually care about Val? Because you wouldn't say that if you were looking for Jim's approval. And I, unfortunately for her, I don't think he does. Right. I think she's been exciting. And I think her stepping into Brenda's life probably like works with Dylan too. He probably sees her and is like, you know, I thought Brenda was the love of my life and I can't have her anymore. So this is Brenda Light. Yeah. Brenda yeah diet Brenda like it just I will say because we talked about this when Shannon was leaving and we were like god I hope we still get Brenda mentions boy have we and I don't hate it like they've done it in a way that's made a lot of sense and I think actually is probably a good nod to the viewers because I don't necessarily know how most of the viewers back then felt about Brenda but by god we loved her and so I'm really glad that she is gone but not forgotten you know Mm -hmm. not just wiped off and out of the 90210 verse like yeah as much as it was crazy how many times Val kept saying Brenda's name I'm still like it makes sense it really does and yeah, I mean, they do this whole fight. They keep bringing up Brenda. They're bringing up Jim. They're just yelling back and forth. And, you know, Dylan's like, it's like you stepped into her life and took her instant family. And Valerie's like, what's so bad about that? And starts crying. 
And I don't think there's like a forgiveness or anything, but it's kind of like a move on from that. And like, there's an emotional need between the two of them. They like, they need somebody else in this moment. So she ends up spending the night. Uh, the next day, Steve and David, not knowing that any of this has happened because David has spent all night handcuffed to a bed, <laughs> um, are driving over to Dylan's house with the plans for the new peach pit over in the carpet ha- place. And like Steve is facing into the house away from the back porch. David looks out on the back porch, sees Valerie, who's like, oh my God, don't tell anybody I'm here, like waving with her arms. And then rather than like running around the house to hide or even like just moving away from the door, she doesn't do anything. Steve turns around, sees her, and that's when she runs and is like, it's not what you think. Girl, we all know it's exactly what we think. Oh, yeah. She tries to like barely good girl herself out of it. And this is again where I notice like, oh, here's the eyes, right? Here's the raised eyebrows. Like, here it is. No, 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 no. You can't good girl your way out of this one, honey. Like, Steve doesn't want any of this. He's like, ah, nope, 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 nope. I don't want anything except to boom and punches Dylan right in the face. And to be honest, they both needed it. Like, yeah, for sure. Steve needed to stand up for himself. Dylan deserves to be punched in the face for everything that has happened this whole season and how he's treated everyone. And to be fair, Valerie deserves some bad treatment too. Not bad treatment, but she deserves like her comeuppance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all of and her lies and her mis like direction of her how she actually is. She deserves some of that to start caving in. Yeah, like I I really liked this immediate payoff of yeah. the punch. But like next episode, I'm gonna need some Valerie fallout. Oh, for sure. And. I think that's what's been so great about this is, like, with Valerie, we got some of the emotional baggage and the and, and trauma that she's faced a little bit in this episode. Because, again, it's like, up until this point, we we all we really know about Valerie is that she's from Buffalo. Her dad recently committed suicide, and she's now living with the Walshes. That's all we know. So mm-hmm. to get a little bit of that we got a little twofold here. We got some emotional payoff in the sense that, all right, well, Valerie's not really all like steel and manipulation. Like we kind of thought she was, she does have layers. She does have this trauma that's happened to her that she hasn't dealt with at all. And then number two, we see her little like web of lies start to unravel. And so it's been fun. The pace to me, like we haven't really hasn't felt rushed, hasn't felt too slow. It's all made sense. Building up this whole Valerie situation and now, boom, here goes the dynamite. Yeah. No, I I think this episode was fantastic. And I'm actually really excited for Jason Priestley to direct the next episode because I feel like he's going to handle where these stories are going very well. Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. Um, But that's, that's next week. So... For this week, quote of the week. Yeah, hit me with them. So I have two options because I will never be decisive enough to come up with one. It's fine. Totally fine. Um, One is Brandon. Great timing, Val. Okay. And uh, my other one is Dylan. 
why was I never good enough for their daughter? At least Brenda had the guts to call them out on it. Nice, nice, nice. Yep. All right. Hit me with two good options. One was a little bit more comedic timing. The other was emotional. Love it. Great choices. Mary? I have so many. (laughs) Hit me. It's bound. I'm really curious. I'm really curious if you actually got it because we have not talked about it. Oh, my God. Okay. Okay. I'm really sorry. The first one's really juvenile. Oh, my God. It's huge. Donna Martin. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. How big of him? Kelly Taylor. (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. It was all in the same vein. Um, This one's from Brandon. Valerie, smug laugh. Dylan's a millionaire. (laughs) 100% for the delivery. Yeah. This quote of the week is also my moment of the week. Nice. And I, I know I can't get the inflection right, but hello, Dylan. Look, I know we've had our differences in the past. Jim Walsh. Also the <laughs> understatement of the fucking century. Seriously. I mean, I think that Dylan like even responds and is like, well, thank God you just come in and state the obvious or, you know, something <laughs> along those lines. <laughs> um, this is when um, Chancellor Arnold or when Claire is trying to get him to look out the window and not in her bedroom. <laughs> oh and he's God. like, look at the view and he's just like, Claire, it's dark out. <laughs> Oh, my God. I can't believe we didn't talk about that. Oh, my God. So good. So good. Uh, that absolutely killed me. <laughs> um, he smashed the pumpkins. I've got to go talk to him. <laughs> Donna. Amazing. Um, and, yeah, that's it. All right. So, Full transparency, none of those were it, but Damn. I almost <laughs> no, I almost have to now go back and change it because I had forgotten about the Chancellor Arnold. Claire, it's dark out. <laughs> and I think that has to be it because a hundred percent that made me laugh in the moment and when you just mentioned it. So it has to be that because it was also the delivery too, where he's just like he's so you can't even see my face, like viewers, listeners, listeners or whatever, but like He's just looking out the window like, Claire, it's dark out. Like, very much like, why would I look out here? Well, and he's so innocent about yes, it. Like, exactly. No question in his mind that she's trying to hide something from him. A hundred percent. Like, he's li- that has to be it. That's that's what it is. That's what it is. My What it was, though, was when they go to the rug store and for some reason David and Claire tag along and they're like trying to convince Dylan to um to purchase or get the lease or whatever for the rug store and they keep saying the same things over and over back and forth and Dylan's like what are you two surround sound and I just <laughs> thought that was funny a moment of levity for our Dylan McKay yeah seriously um this is like mostly nothing but i had a realization um while watching this episode that i don't know if i've like had well i think i've had the realization before but i don't think i've said it and that is brenda walsh had two loves and they were dylan mckay and attention because even though she flirted with other boys it was only because they came up to her first and were just like, I have this attention for you. And she's like, fuck, give it. I need that. (laughs) (laughs) 
yes, please. <laughs> no, that's so true. It's very true. It's very, very true. And let's be real. If Dylan was there, she didn't pay attention to anybody else. Mm-hmm. It was like, you're totally right. Like, it was always like, no, Dylan is my attention giver and like who I will give my attention to. But if he wasn't there, I'm getting it from aerobics class, from Paris, from uh, Stuart, like whoever, for sure. Great. Astute observation, Mary. Yes. Very much so. Love it. I miss Brenda. Can you tell? Oh, I do too. I miss Brenda so much. And so like, much. I, I really appreciate all the Brenda mentions, but every now and then I'm just like, I wonder what she's doing in London. I agree. I wish we could just get a little pan over across the pond. Just give us just a little like, pan. Even just more mentions of Cindy being like, oh, I just talked to Brenda mm-hmm. versus like a lot of past tense. She has a British Rick now. His name is Brick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my it. God. And it's the same actor. Dean <laughs> Kane. And he's got a British accent this time. Oh as bad boy. as her French accent. Oh, if only. It's it's very Cockney. It's not oh even my the God. British. <laughs> yeah, it's like Michael Caine. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. What's next week? Do you know? I sure do. It is season five, episode eight, Things That Go Bang in the Night. Jim and Cindy. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> <laughs> They're having fun the old-fashioned way. Dear Lord. Yeah, is For this at least the one, six though, months. The, yeah, is this the one that is, um, Jason, yep, this is directed by Jason Priestley. Yep. I'm excited. For, I'm ready for it. Well, and it's clearly a Halloween episode, and by clearly I mean it says in the first line of the synopsis that I didn't read further, on Halloween night. So guys, we're getting a Halloween episode. I love a Halloween episode. And oh, it makes I'm sense a little with nervous, all the pumpkins. Though. Oh, me too. Always nervous. Oh, God. After, it, yeah. Was that our only Halloween episode? Yeah, because last Halloween was 20 years ago today, then in season three... The Halloween week. There was no Halloween week. There was a break after, oh, after Presumption of Innocence. So uplifting. Lovely. Mm. And then season two would have been the actual Halloween episode. So yeah, this is only our second Halloween episode. Well, here we go. Uh, So yeah, I mean, we'll talk about that next week. And until then, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast. You can also shoot us over an email of really whatever you want to, thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, ideas. If you want us to write something in about six years, we'll get to (laughs) it. Um, But shoot us over some emails and and we'll make sure to shout them out on the pod. Uh, Do so at backtopodcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And go into your podcast apps and rate, review, subscribe, share it with your friends, all that stuff. Uh, if you leave us a review, we'll shout you out on the podcast. All of that stuff really helps us get seen. It helps build our community, and we really appreciate it. So uh, until next week, from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm a fire marshal. I'm a teeny tiny hedgehog in a big old pumpkin. <laughs> I'm the new and improved larger pee pad in a rug store. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> See ya.